All right. Just briefly this morning, just going to share from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I'll start at verse 14 and go to uh, verse 21. Uh, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constrains us. The us there is who we are in Christ. All those that are born again, and that constraining, obviously, first and foremost, is positional truth. We've been, he constrained us. And that word really in the Greek means he holds us in a vice. So when it's saying that, remember what Jesus said in John six thirty-seven and 39. All that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So there's, there's the positive truth about the negative teaching that somehow a believer can lose their salvation. I base that upon John 6, 37 and 39 because Jesus is saying it's between me and my Father and my Father's greater than all. He'll never cast us out. And so, and based upon John 10, uh, 28 and 29, we are in his hand. 10, 27 is the shepherd. We are in his hand. And no one can pluck us out, meaning no one can tear us out of our position. But can they play with, and how Satan and the demons like to play with the Christian's experience through a lack of teaching, through no teaching, bad teaching, or knowing truth and not submitting. Oh, how he likes to abuse and play with Christians in their minds. Because you know, we think things before we do them. All behavior is what? It's caused. And with every cause, there's an effect. So here, the love of Christ it constrains us positionally. Because we thus judge, we thus judge and discern and understand that if one died, that's Christ, and he did it for all, that's propitiation. One did die for all, making available for all to have a substitute and to be reconciled. That is going back to one did one died and one did die and who did he first die for in propitiation for the Father in Genesis 22 and verse 8. So the love of Christ constrains us, those that are in Christ, because we, being in that position, can judge that he did die potentially for he did die for all. Why? Because we're all were dead. All were separated. And that goes into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and, and down through. One died. Why? Because all were separated, dead, in trespasses and sin, sins. That's Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It's making it very clear. We were all that. We aren't anymore. And that he died for all. Did he die for all? Well, Hebrews 2.9 says he tasted death for every man. That's propitiation. He did it to the Father, and he did it for whosoever will. Revelations 22 and verse 17, whosoever will can come and drink freely of the water of life. Christ himself, as he pours himself out, they can drink it in in salvation and then they can continue to drink it in through the preaching and teaching of the word that Christ is, bringing in the reality in their experience of what they are in their position. So that he died for all that they, does it say all? No, that they which live, do all live? 
Do all have him as their life? In Colossians 3 and verse 4, no. Not all do. That they which live, watch, should no longer live henceforth to themselves. So if we don't live for Christ, what do we live in? The flesh. Flesh is in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. But we can live in it in a heartbeat. Experientially. But is that the equal of our position in Christ? Here is your love for your child, all your investment, and then they throw it all aside. Would that have an effect on you? <laughs> that they which live should no longer live anymore unto themselves, but, and that's a contrasting conjunction, remember? A contrasting conjunction. There's a contrast. The old me, the new me. The conjunction separates. We were separated from the old through death in, in Romans 6, 1 through 6. We no longer should live that way. We are to reckon in 6, 11 of Romans that we are dead. Not that we have to die to a certain thing, this particular sin, this particular habit, this particular stronghold. You know, you know what those strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, then I don't have to do with flesh and blood. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? A stronghold. That's a strong attachment. Okay, that's, a, that's been broken positionally. But can I go back and live in it? We can. We shouldn't, but we can. But thank God for 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, if any, if any of you in Christ sin, we have an advocate. The we, not all, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins. And not like it's taught and said. And for the world also. It doesn't say for the sins of the whole world. Because it makes it a clear distinction. They that, in, in that he, he died for all, and that he died... For all, why? Because all were dead. But those that are now alive in Christ, out of the dead, they're out. That's John 5, verse 24. He's taken us out of death. Because in Romans 6, 9, he that dies once, what? Dies no more. And the day of one's death is greater than the day of one's birth. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, for us in Christ. But we can view that naturally in the flesh, right? That they which live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So, because of this, we are to know no man after the flesh. Who does that start with? Ourselves in Christ. After the flesh. Yea, Yes, though we have known Christ after him in his humanity, he's far more than that. Based on, we can base that upon the epistle to Ephesians, the height of where he is in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, and Isaiah 45, verse 23. He has a name based upon his nature that is above every, every other nature and every other thing named. Because there is no other salvation in Acts 4.12. There isn't. There's no other mediator between God and men. 
in 1 Timothy 2.5, but it is the man, Christ Jesus, and he mediated it through death and then finishes it for those that receive him to have that life. So because of that, we're not to know any man after the flesh. Do you think the enemy wants us to know ourselves after the flesh? How's he going to do that? Because he knows the lust patterns of each of us far better than we ever dreamt. And he knows far beyond what we think we would do. Because of that nature that is in us, that nature that's in us is far worse than even the worst sins that we could ever do. Though we have known Christ after his humanity, yet from that point on, the point of him dying and rising again and getting a name by very, we don't know him after that. Some of these songs that portray him, if they only knew him the way he is right now. We don't know him anymore. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if he is and he's in Christ, that's a first class fulfilled condition, if and he is. He is a new creature. Right? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The Greek says, let him be that. Let him be that. How's the let? Through the will. You see the importance of the will? Still have a free will. I mean, with my free will, can I sin just as much as love God? Yeah. And do it in a heartbeat. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, let him be, because he is a new creature. Old things, they are in the process of being passed away, or are they already passed away? Based upon Romans 6, 1 through 12. Are they already passed away? Yes. But can I live in the lie of them? Yes. They're already passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have a new way to view things now. Boy, I know the evil. Boy, I know what it's like. And all things, the things, are of God. What does that mean? Now I view them properly, but I can only do that when I submit to the life that Christ is in me. Then he places me above with this wisdom and I can see everything properly. I have God's viewpoint. I have God's sight, which is absolute faith and dependence upon the word. All things now are of God who has, that's past tense, by the way. It's a past tense, present, active participle. God wants the reality of the activity of what his love has done for us in reconciling us and functioning in that new life. Do you think the enemy wants that? He can't touch the position, 1 John 5, 18b, wicked one touches us not. So what does he go after, as we've been taught so many times? The experience. No. He has reconciled us to himself through and by Jesus Christ, and has, listen to this, he's given to us. Think about that, the privilege. Us, the ministry of reconciliation. We can go tell others now, hey, God's been propitiated. Jesus Christ has propitiated him. 
and you can trust him that he did that. And when you do, you also realize that as a substitute, he paid for your sins. Again, as we have been taught, this is brought out in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. The individual had to put his hands on that sacrificial victim and confess his sins. And that's brought out in the two lots, the two lots in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. In those first 7 to 10 verses, 11 verses, it's bringing out the two lots. One of the lots was propitiating the Father in Genesis 22 and verse 8. It had nothing to do with personal sins. But because the Father was propitiated, then the second lot, that goat had to be killed. The first one had to be killed. That's Jesus Christ on Calvary. The second goat, the second goat, the second aspect of the, the life that Christ is was those that put their hands on that second goat and confessed their sins, that, that one went away free. And now we have the freedom in Christ. But that's what Christ did. This is what these verses are bringing out. This is who we are positionally. Do we think the enemy wants us to live in the reality that we are already reconciled to God? And that he's literally given us that same ministry to be used because we have the treasure in these fragile clay jars in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Hmm? All things now are of God. Now we see them. Oh, what a different viewpoint. I don't need certain things that that liar convinced me. Liar. Who has reconciled us, past tense, to himself by Christ Jesus. It's a past tense. It happened once. Hebrews 10, 10. It happened once. Now we're to live in Hebrews 10, verse 14. We're complete forever. Forever reconciled. That's to be our proper experience based upon our position in Christ. But do you think the enemy wants that? No, get us occupied. Oh, I need this thing. I need that thing. I got to do this thing. I need all these things. To himself and given to us. Amazing grace. Grace not only saved me, and of course it did in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, but given me that I can walk in the same steps that Jesus did and give others that ministry through Christ in me. That's amazing grace. What a way to live. That's life. Living for others now because I've been set free from living for myself. Thank God. Has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, to understand that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. First, it had to, we had to understand, need to understand propitiation. The halasmos. And halasterion, and those Greek words. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Potentially, he's saying, listen, the Father's been propitiated. This is our ministry. Listen, if you believe that Jesus propitiated him, you, can, you will have your sins dealt with. Right? Because why else would there be a judgment in Revelations 20, 11 to 15? What would their works be? Sin. Because what does a sinner do? What's a, nature, what's a sin nature do? When it's active, it sins. And boy, the enemy wants that lie to be in the flesh in us. 
Now then, this is who we are. Well, this is so amazing. I, it's so, it's, it's unreal. I not only saved you, I not only love you, I not only crucified you, but I want you to, in, I want to give you something that you can function in any time as you're led by me, led by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Now then, now then, because we are, what's the now? We already are reconciled. Then we are ambassadors, what? For Christ. As though God did beseech you by us with Christ in us. Be what? Be you reconciled to God. Well, what's reconciliation based upon? A substitute. What does substitute first do? He propitiated the Father. Now that becomes part of ours in 1 John 2.2. 2. He's the propitiation for our sins now. He's offered as a substitute. So to understand 1 John 2, 1 and 2, we understand the types. That's why the hyper-dispensationalists will cut off all the old and say that was all for Israel when we know and we're taught that long before there was law for the Israelites and long before there was sin, did he have the church in his mind? Well, Ephesians, the third chapter, make it very clear. Ephesians, the first chapter, make it very clear that that had to do with his son, to glorify his son. Literally, it's what it had to do with. Be you reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. For he has made him to be the sin sacrifice for us. To be, he made him to be the sin sacrifice. That's propitiation right there. And in doing it to the Father, first he did it for us. For us. For everyone? Is everyone reconciled to God? Now Christians, positionally, all of us, are reconciled to God. Do most Christians understand that reconciliation? Do they experience it most? Mm -mm. No, they don't. For he has made him. What's that referring to? For he has made him. Well, who formed the humanity, the human body of Jesus Christ in that 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1, verse 35? Who did that? God did. God was preparing for himself a propitiatory sacrifice, a propitiation. That's Genesis 22 and verse 8. Made him to be the sin sacrifice so that God could be for us. Who knew no sin. He did not have a sin nature. This is what it's teaching here. Some teach, you know, they, they do. They Some teach, yes, we can do it because Jesus overcame being tempted. He submitted to the Holy Spirit and he overcame temptation. Excuse me? Was God in the humanity of Jesus Christ? Was he? Was he God? Very God and very man? Was he? In one? Yeah. The last time I checked, God cannot be tempted with evil, James 1.13, neither he tempts any man. But every man is tempted and drawn away by his own what? Lusts. Yeah, lusts. Oh, boy. For he made him to be sin for us, the sin sacrifice, propitiatory, 
first of the Father, who knew no sin, he had no sin nature, that we might be made. We've been made the right. Not We don't have to do anything, the works. Read Romans the fifth chapter. Read Romans the eleventh chapter. Read Ephesians chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Read them all. Right? They make it clear. Right? Very simply put, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, are we made the righteousness of God in him positionally? Is he working that into our proper experience? Yes. But what gets in the way of that? Mm -hmm. It gets in the way. And we need constant teaching and constant separation. Boy, some, some people, some beautiful people that I love, if they spent more time listening to these, not listening to Ed, Ed's message, you know, let's let's get straight First Thessalonians two and verse thirteen with Second Timothy two and verse thirteen. But let's look at First Thessalonians two and verse thirteen. I thank God that when you received the word, you did not receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works effectually in you that receive it. Receive it. If you can't come in person, ton of messages, ton. Because it's the word. And I may fail people. I don't want to. But I may. But the word never fails. That's why we lift up Christ. That's why, that's why we don't preach Christ in 2 Corinthians ourselves. But preach Christ in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. That's right. Maybe we would be doing a lot better off. By doing that, spending far more time, we talked about it yesterday, but far more time in the Word than in so-called other things and not use things that God's blessed us with as an excuse why we can't do it. Because would God give it to us and then not make a way for us to have it? Come on. and Let's just be honest. We all need to be. I need to be. We all need to be honest and edify one another and build one another up. Because listen, we're an ambassador. Just not... Just to the unsaved? No, to the to the saved too. Yeah, we're a joint that supplies with proper teaching. You notice how it says we need to grow up in Christ in Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Then we become a joint in 4.16 that supplies. But first and foremost, it needs we need to have right teaching in Ephesians 4 verse 11. To, to, to what? For the work of what? The pastor's supposed to do all that, right? We just come and get the word, right? Is that it? Is that what Second Corinthians 5 was just teaching us this morning? No. No. And when you understand it that way, which is the wrong way, that's supposed to do everything, then you, start, then you have pastor worship and not Christ. And you make him responsible and not yourself before God. Thank God we don't have that. Right? Thank God about who we are in Christ. I'm thankful with him. I am so thankful. And boy, we need to have this truth taught constantly. We need the soul constantly being separated, experientially. Self-consciousness in Hebrews 4.12. No wonder it says, taking the sword of the Spirit and, and spiritual warfare. And we're in it all the time. I don't care who you are, what you do. I am telling you, that's what's all around us. So in Ephesians 6, verse 17, we need to take, it's called the sword of the Spirit. 
sword of the Spirit there in Ephesians 6, verse 17, is what Jesus was saying in John 6, 63. He said, he said the flesh profits what? There's no love in the flesh, nothing. No experience of God's love in the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit, that's Holy Spirit, and they are life. That's Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ. And when I'm in a proper place of submission of my will, he's able to bring them into my experience. But I can resist it, and the enemy can give me every excuse why I'm so busy that even if responsibilities keep me from coming in person, I can't take the time to listen to them. Because I think maybe if I open up my Bible or I have a devotional, that'll be enough. We're in spiritual warfare. We need to take the Spirit, the, the sword of the Spirit. That's the will being submitted so that we have a proper experience. And now we're ambassadors. We're not trying to deal with sin constantly on the roller coaster, trying to deal with these strongholds that are deep within us, roots, things that have been rooted in us. And that's a stronghold these attachments and the lust patterns, brutal. We need to constantly be taught who we are and be separated from it because who we are, who we are has to do with how God loves us in Christ. So Father, thank you. We love you and praise you and thank you so much for who we are, who we are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God. In Romans 7, 17 and 7, 20, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Thank you, Lord. And I don't want to live in anything knowingly that cost you already your life and then live in it like it's not dealt with. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love, for your grace, your unconditional love, your mercy, and your grace. Oh, God, thank you. That here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us, those that are in Christ. And now we love in 1 John 4.19 because you first loved us. And oh God, help us not to leave the reality of that first love. That's positional truth. That first love in Revelations 2 and verse 4. Thank you for loving us. And oh God, my prayer for me and for all of us today and whoever listens and receives and submits, that they, they with all of us, which is functioning nothing but your love, because nothing else has any value. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. Because without love, experientially, the enemy convinces us in our experience that we're nothing and that we need to do something about it. And boy, does he have it. But thank God it's not who we are. Thank you for your love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.